Hello and welcome to the 42 Six Nations podcast. I'm Murray Kinsel and I'm here in the 42 newsroom. This week we're excited to be joined by Eddie O'Sullivan, the former Ireland coach. He um, may sound a little bit different this week as he joined us over Google Hangouts, but some great insight from Eddie on Eddie Jones, the New England coach, their attack and their defensive system under Paul Gustard. Smith certainly brought a lot more kicking into the game. You know, they kick 60 to 70% of their possession away. So there's going to be a lot of ball in the air. There'll be a lot of kick and clap. And it's our job to make sure we defuse those kicks. we just got to focus on what, what we're doing and, and not not, not uh, get drawn into too much of, uh, of what he's talking about. He has his own stats, I suppose, but for us, from a player point of view, you know, we have a different plan every single week we play. And, you know, if Joe asks, asks us to kick the ball 500 times, um, we probably believe that was the way to win that week, and we do it. So, you know, the next week he might want us to run it 500 times. The last two years, been Six Nations champions, um, which is where we want to be, obviously. So, yeah, we know, you know, we have to step up again and um, improve on, on uh, a lot of things if we want to turn them over. Eddie, thanks many for joining us. What are your experience of Eddie Jones as a coach? You've coached against him, you've actually won against him. What have you What have you found with Eddie? Well, when he coached Australia, which is a way back, talking about maybe 10 years or more, he was very patterned in his play. And um, Australia were a team that played a very straight shape. And they combined physicality with kind of a lot of skill. And I think he was things for, for a journalist anyway is he's come in with this massive kind of media persona we knew it was coming but it's been very entertaining I was over at the Six Nations launch and like he had the room in stitches with laughter he was telling stories about Stoke City and comparing rugby teams to them all these kind of I guess they're distractions what like what, what's a coach's thinking in, in that kind of sphere he's talked about Ireland's kicking game a lot he's gone from 60% to 70% now in, in today's newspapers what, what's he trying to achieve there I think he's just playing silly rubbers with the media um, that is able to detract away from the real meat of what the media were asking about his tactics, about what his intentions are on selection. So he, he, he plays it really well and he's very comfortable with his own skin. Um, he's very happy in that environment and he sees it as a bit of a cat and mouse game with the media. I mean, when you refer to mind games, you're talking about the opposition. But the truth of the matter is he's playing the mind games with the media because the media loved the headlines, the one-liners, and he bit I mean, the fact that he said that Ireland, you know, play Australian rules, we analyse it, we find that England actually kicked the ball. He knew that when he said it, but he knew the media was wrong and make a big storm for it. So, you can't imagine George Smith at night, you know, worrying about what Italy is saying, 
for Ireland, just for that single point. But it's great lines for the media, and I think it's just very interesting. And the media will have to, because I think need the stuff. He's trying to go to Ireland, but he's kind of laughing away behind it. But the bottom line is a lot of these and a lot of these uh, media events, they try to measure the ideas and exactly what his plans are or what he's going to do. He gives nothing away and he gives everyone to change. It's a pretty good strategy. Yeah, it is, it is certainly, I guess, a distraction of what England are actually doing in attack. He talks about Ireland's kicking tactics. As you've said, England have actually kicked more. They're 36% possession kicked away, whereas Ireland are just under 24% so far. So he, he does distract a little bit. He talks about Ireland playing a style of rugby that he wouldn't want to play, but there are actually strong similarities there. Looking back at those England uh, games against Scotland and Italy, certainly, there's a lot of one-out play. There's a lot of really simple, direct rugby. And, and there certainly are echoes of Ireland in what England are trying to do. Would you agree with that? Um, well, I, I think what he's doing at the moment with England is he's, he's you, evol, it's evolving rather than revolving. You know, it's an evolution rather than revolution. And he's happy to make a commentary game in an empty game. But I think you look at him tactically, he hasn't changed a lot. He's still going to the air with pressure. And he's still going off parties and contacts because they have the strength areas. Mm. But I think what he's trying to do slowly and surely is to increase the pace of England's game. Because England for years have played that similar physical style, but it's been lumbering and slow. And a lot of teams eventually shut it down. And whereas what he's trying to do is stay with what they're cool at, but do it a lot quicker and a lot better. And if he can create quicker ball with those big forward orders, they do have strong corners uh, in the back end of worship. But I think he knows himself that if they don't change the pace at which they play, then they won't actually like they have been a number of years. And I think part of that as well is in their fitter. And if you look very hard and back in a couple of weeks, probably they need fitter and challenging guys to fitter. And the interesting thing about that, it's all overarched the way he communicates to the team publicly. Mm. It's trying to challenge the England team to get fitter, to put, you know, a bucket of points on it. He's almost trying out there public for them. A lot of things you might say, right, you say publicly, boys. It's an interesting start from in terms of his management style, challenging the team publicly over the time to perform. Uh, and it's something he can't do for four years. Yeah. Well, he's starting all on that line to bring generate some energy on the players. Yeah. And we, I don't think they've been really tested yet. No, I don't think I so. I mean, I think um, the first two games are probably these the easiest games. But he'll take that because he's going to build on the success of those. Yeah. Like the tempo, the tempo point is really interesting because we've seen England, I think they threw three quick line outs in Scotland. There's quick tap penalties, something we probably wouldn't have seen under Lancaster. And as well as that, like it's, for a new head coach coming in, I imagine you have to be as simple as possible. You have to simplify everything for fairs. And he's, he's gone for the tempo in a very basic shape, would you say? Because before England played with a lot of those diamonds where they'd have a forward at the front of the diamond and there was a passing option at the back for, for one of the playmakers. But they haven't done as much of that, that. There's just been a little bit more simplicity. So if they are playing off 10, it's just a direct runner. Now, there is options off that. And we saw that probably for the, the Newell try against Scotland and also for, for that offload try that Jamie George gave to Owen Farrell against Italy. So there's options to play out there. Do you think we'll see it uh, maybe step forward another uh, level against Ireland? Yeah, I think they'll try and gradually play 
build forward what he was doing and add more and more and more as it goes. You're right. He couldn't completely change everything. Yeah. Um, so he got his stall set out generally. Now, remember, he hasn't gone away from strength, which is the fatality of the break. That's going to be And I think that it'd be absolutely brutal this along the weekend in Ireland. But he's trying to bring that brutality with pace. And then off that, if he generates that pace with that physicality, then they can put it into his wrinkles. So he's not hung up on that at the moment. And <clears throat> you may see things develop a little bit, but it won't be so I mean, he's, he said, again, I thought it was saying, it's going to take two or three years for him to peak. Yeah. It's a smart thing for a coach to do, to say, like, you know, you've got to give me two or three years here before I get where we're going. Yeah. You know, it takes pressure off. So, it's a good strategy. But, but again, I think that could be way ahead. He thinks this is going to be a gradual, slow change. But he believes, I think, in his heart of hearts, if he can combine that physicality with pace and speed and tempo, they can play with anybody, including the All Blacks. Yeah. It's, it's a fair assertion, it's a fair idea. I think there's a little bit of echoes of, of what he did with Japan, but they didn't have the athletes. In terms of, he brought that tempo, he brought that one out rugby. I think in the World Cup, Japan had 66% of their phases with just one pass. So they, they built that tempo and they stretched the defense before they strike wide. I think the, that winning try against South Africa was a really good example. But then there was also this other side to the game where they struck really well off set piece. Now, Eddie Jones has gone on the record saying the Japanese players are brilliant for this because they'll follow his instructions to a T. But I think it's something that we might see okay. built in sure. built in with England as well because he, he has that brain for, for Seppi strikes and when you have that physicality, it's insane not to use a, a really strong ball carrier on a first phase strike when everyone's in a good position. Do you, do you think that's a, a, something to evolve there for Eddie Jones? Yeah, that's part of the evolution. I mean, to be fair to Eddie, again, like a good, any of a good, it will build this house based on the resources available. You know, in Australia, he had a team that could play a very patterned game. They had um, George, uh, George Greig and, and just Martin and Halfax, who were like co conductors, and he used them brilliantly to build their tempo in their game. And he knew Japan, and anyone that's you know, seen Japan play, they were a team that are incredibly accurate technically, and they play exactly to what you tell them, but they do it very well. But they have to play it quickly. You know, you saw the scrum, literally the ball in the scrum, and I was thinking, because they knew they couldn't really compete with the big teams. So that's adapting to his environment, which is smart. But with England, he knows he has horses that can go more, you know, with the big So he's not going to abandon that physicality. He's going to bring that physicality into his game. You've seen it already. Yeah. And, but you can see that the, the really crucial second dimension to that is he can bring speed and tempo with that. Yeah. And then he might layer into that the technical players, like the starter players, the rolling players. And if he, that would be a very important combination with the ball. Because you've got pace, you've got power, you've got speed, and you've got technicality. Yeah. And this is something England have talked about for years, but I've never achieved. You know, they've floundered and actually created the tempo in their game. Yeah, I want to ask you about the, the kind of set piece again, because you obviously have a very strong reputation in that department with Ireland, and, and you use guys like Brian Driscoll really well on, on kind of pre-planned moves. And, and now Joe Schmidt has obviously become famed in that kind of sense as well as power plays, where he goes three, four phases of really mapped out 
uh, play and everyone knows their role specifically. As a coach, like when you're building those plays, is it, is it based on your own strengths or is it based on what you see in the opposition or, or is it a, a mix and match of all those things? It's always based on two things. It's based on uh, the weakness of the opposition and then the players you have to exploit that. Okay. So when you craft a game plan, and this is getting, the game is getting more and more strategic as we go forward. There's more analysis done, uh, there's more planning. Uh, but you look at the opposition, you say, is this defense, for example, a blitz defense, an open-in defense? And how do you break a blitz defense down? And the way to break down a blitz defense is you can't make more than one pass before you go to the line, but you spread out the defense and you go through them. Okay. Um, I remember that probably worked that was back in 2006 against South Africa. Yeah. Um, they came to Lanzo. We played them in the summer and we knew they played and we spread them out that day as a road and we went through them a lot of the time. Whereas the other side of was against England. Um, England, when I was coach, had a very tight defence and they played very soft drift defence. And um, we played a different shape against them. We played three channel attack. We, we kept runners wide in the outside channels and we didn't spend much time in the field, but they were strong. And if you remember uh, back in 2004 or 2006 when we were playing them, we them by getting off the corners yeah. and stretch and then going through the middle when they spread out, keeping that balance in our game. But it, it took a bit of time to develop those strategies. But once the players got in their heads, that was goal and that's what they were trying to do, it, they went with. And then you had to change from one game to another. Um, but that was my philosophy, looking at the composition and then building crafting the game to exploit the weakness. But you had to remember you absolutely weren't pretty good at But this picture for us, that's off his left hand. You know, it felt he wasn't comfortable anymore. It's true, but the play, one player is in mind. But eventually, at the national level, your restrictions are relatively limited. All these guys are good rugby players, you know. It's different if you're coaching, you know, J1 side or something like that. <laughs> but at this level, you have a lot of top caliber players available. And you can or have, you have that luxury of changing the game plan while breaking with it. Okay. And, like, when you're building those set plays and when they're working really well for your team, does it ever get to the point where? Um, the team's confidence is completely dependent on those things, or if they don't get a good gain on a first phase from a move that's always worked for them, that it can dent confidence a little bit. Do you think that's happening with Ireland at times? Well, I think you have to remember that you can't win every finishing, or you can't win every game. Like. Mm. But if you look at any attacking set over, what, 10, 15 phases, if you win on the greater percentage, if you win 70% of collisions over you know, 10 or 15 phases, you are making progress you're going forward. The problem is when your percentage when it drops down to about 30 percent, and you found that after 10 or 15 phases, you're probably back where you started. And at the moment, with Ireland's phase attack, when we go back to the World Cup before, found against very physical teams like England that it put the speed on in the game line, and they were able to shut us down pretty well. We found it hard to break the door. I thought in the game against Wales, I thought I saw green shoots where we were trying to move the strike point a little bit. Mm. We never changed our overall shape. We still did it on the trick up front end. But we were actually making an effort to move the ball one or two passes away before the contact, which was working pretty well for us. I think though when we went to Paris, the weather had a big impact on that. We couldn't really 
we couldn't do that anymore in those conditions. And I think France defended much better than we saw it against uh, Italy. They got off the line and they got a big hits in the rain, which is easier to do. So you'd like to think next Saturday we go back to, if the weather is good enough, to go back to moving the strike point against England because well, I think we have to accept that if we try to bully England next weekend at Wickham, it's going to be a long day to break them down and mm. probably on a balance to win that back physically. Yeah. So we have to be creative in how we go about breaking them down. Um, I think, like, the last time we were in Twickenham, oh, the Arthur play were excellent. We run the corners, we got into the outside chance, we got put in, and it's when we got into our players game, but England seemed to be able to, 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 to show us down. And we found it very hard to break them down. And I think it cost us that game. Yeah, like, Ireland have struggled against that, that split defensive times. They've, they've looked short of ideas or of variation, maybe, and that's something you're, you're referring to there. Have you seen big changes in England's defence? Paul Guster has come in, obviously famed for his kind of wolf pack mentality at Saracens. Um, has he notably shifted the system? They they seem to be a little less cohesive going forward, but even more aggressive, perhaps. Yeah, I think he's brought two things to them in defence, and this seems to be his trademark. Whichever he calls their mindset is their own philosophy and defending. I mean, even within the systems they use, their philosophy will permeate. He's he wants an extremely aggressive line because he feels that they get off the line and make hits again. They're physically they can really disrupt teams. And I think you saw it with Italy last week or two weeks ago when late in the game, Italy were trying to change the game, they were tired. I think they were getting off their line at 100 miles an hour, smashing the Italians. So that's one area you'll see if they get off the line. And the other area is they're being incredibly disruptive at the ropes. If you're going to put a second guy into a rock to defend, he has to have an impact on the rock. <laughs> Obviously not give away a penalty. That's not a good impact. Yeah. But if you're in there, what you can do is slow down the ball if you can. If you can't slow down the ball, get out of there. Now, at this level, a lot of teams are very good at preventing you getting to the ball because they save it off legally by getting into the space and the ball. But you watch the English guy, the second guy in fights like he's in a battle room brawl. And then he picks the ball out the back of his hand. The amount of ball I think kicked out of rocks in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. It's an interesting, like a lot of teams, the guy goes in and he pushes and shows, but he doesn't do much. Even they're disruptive, they're kicking the ball out the back of the rock. If that ball is still thrown behind the hand back and take it off the line, you know, that's going over. So I think Gustav has brought that destruction idea to the world. And it's also brought the game off the line. Their shape, their shape is a little suspect based on how much they time. Eddie Jones has sort of opened up that debate about the Aussie rules and the kicking game and it's something that follows our endeavour but England actually have built a, a really strong kicking game under him. Two of their tries actually have come directly from Gary Owens, uh, kicked on the halfway. There was one where Jack Nowell uh, scored against Scotland, that came from Gary Owen, and also the first uh, George Ford try against Italy came from his own kick, chased up, uh, and, and they turned over possession with a really good, really good offensive chase. Is that a, an area that they'll actually look at Ireland and go, hang on a second, Ireland aren't as strong as they were in the air. They used to be the kind of force here, but I, I feel like sides are actually challenging Ireland there and maybe taking away a, a source of confidence for Ireland. Do you think that's coming this weekend? Well, the thing about the, the, the contestable or the bomb is that 
If it, the bomb is good enough, quality of the kick is good enough. It doesn't matter who's catching it, they're going to get tackled and they're going to get turned up. And if you have momentum right onto those rocks, you can actually turn them over. But, but I wouldn't look at Ireland as a, a, a team that are weak in that area. I mean, Brock Carney is one of the best guys in the world. And I think even whoever's on the wings, probably the one guy that might put a bit of pressure on is Andrew Strickland. But having said that, he hasn't shown much weakness in that area. He's been very good at the right ball. Yeah. So it wouldn't be an area that I would go after and say, well, that's how we're going to beat you Ireland. I don't think that's really the weakness in our game. Okay. Um, but I do think they'd use it because it's a good enough kick it tells the hammer is under. You know, when it comes down, you go after the hammer and that can happen. And even if you recover it, you're going to have to kick it out and to give them a good beach head to start them to attack. Yeah. So I think you'll see them kick them, but not because they think we're bad, but because they think they're good enough to bring the pressure, get, get them to get, stuff, get them the ball back. Yeah. It seems to be a bit of a default when they're when they're attacking in the middle of the pitch, maybe two or three phases, and, they, and they're not really going anywhere. And George Ford just drops back and puts one up, the, and they chase it really well. I think that's kind of their default in that area of the pitch. Like Ireland have targeted England's wings maybe a bit in the last couple of seasons with cross field kicks, balls in behind. Anthony Watson and, and Jack Nell, do you think they're susceptible in that area? They are a bit. Uh, they are a bit susceptible in that area. But I think. In recent years, England defended very narrow, and they left those wings very isolated. And it was easy to pick them out. I don't know if Gus are probably that naive to let them isolate them out outside. They knew that I was a bit wider, I think, so they can go on. And even if he gets beaten, you're, you're a second to get to make the tackle. Yeah. The one you're asked to go and play the ball in the air. And if he doesn't win it, that's a traffic situation, usually. Okay. So. It's what happened with England is they left those guys isolated. When they won the ball, it was great, but when they didn't, they were in, they were in big trouble. I, I expect they were trying and more guys in the area or be aware of that kick and get supported. Because the best way to, to, to defend those kicks is have a jumper who goes after the ball and tries to win it, and a guy who's coming in late, or if he wins it, or if the ball breaks, or the other guy gets it, he can make the tackle and try and win the breaking ball. Yeah. And it, that, that's doable if you're aware of it. You've got to be very aware of something you can go. Because that second big guy is going to come to midfield and he can't go early after he knows the kick is going in. Yeah. Um, What's well, only doable if you're aware of it? Yeah. Like tying all these elements together, Eddie, and, and despite the negativity around Ireland, like, it's going to be a close fixture again, it, it, possibly even a one score game again, it, as it has been with Joe Schmidt in England uh, in recent years. Like, where do your confidence levels lie for, for this fixture? Do you think England have that bounce effect from Eddie Jones, or, or do Ireland have a good idea what's coming against them? And if they if they play a smart game plan, this is a very winnable fixture. Well, I think that is a very accurate way of putting it. But I think the most dynamic would be the um, No matter what Eddie Jones says, everybody will think of the favourites for this game. Mm. And if Ireland were to win the three it would be a big upset, and it could be a real England Six Nations because the next team up for England is Wales. In Twickenham. And the Wales would have got him in Twickenham. It'd be a catastrophe because of all the hard straight back of Woolman. Yeah. And all that will kick off again. So these are huge games for the Jones and England. So if Ireland were to turn England over here, it'd be a massive result. Ireland's best chance of making it happen, though, is defensively we've got to be really smart and keep the width that we did against Wales in the second half. And also be able to bring physicality to that spontaneous. 
Now we do that on the defensive side of the ball around the game. With the attack, if we are box clever and we don't try and bully it physically, then and we look for the spaces, I think we can we can really challenge them. That would be based on us providing at the set piece. The lineup would be fine, but the scrum would come under the under the pump for sure. Yeah. And then the overarching psychology of the game is remember because it's our fairness, every minute that ticks off the clock from in eighty one and they have a prior on the way, the pressure builds on England. So the message for everyone will be stay in the game, stay in the game, stay in the game. That every minute comes off the clock, the pressure builds on England. If there's pressure on at minute one, imagine pressure at 79 if they haven't moved away. Yeah. And that would be one main mantra, wouldn't it? But it's predicated on ticking those boxes for safety, attack, and defense. Okay. And then, of course, discipline. And but the worry is for me is that maybe if the scrum on hinges we could be in big trouble. But we know that's common. It's a it's a big question mark. I think you've put the game plan together nicely there, Eddie. Um, thanks a million for your insight, really appreciate it. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us again. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube and we'll be back next week hopefully reflecting on a win in Twickenham.